and uh, we're excited to see what he's going to continue to do. Amen. Hallelujah. Go with me to 1 Kings chapter 19. 1 Kings chapter 19. We are um, kind of, uh, you know, I wouldn't say it's a series, but I would say that we're in a season um, of, of looking ahead and, and developing some expectation. How many of you know that God meets expectation? You get what you expect. If you expect a lot, you get a lot. If you expect nothing, you get nothing. And um, it's important for us to be expecting God to move. It's important for us to be looking for how God wants to, to, to shift and how he wants to direct us in new seasons of our life. When, when Jesus left the earth, he told his disciples, now go and wait for the promise of the Father. What was he trying to do? He's trying to get them in expectation of something. He's trying to build up. You know, have you ever told, have you ever started a conversation with, um, hey, no, nah, I'll tell you later. You ever done that? Yeah, you've done that. And you might have even been on the opposite end of that. And you're like, well, you can't, you can't do that. You can't just not finish the sentence. Uh, I'll tell you now. Uh, I can't tell you. I mean, all it does is build the anticipation of what you got. You know, you're on the edge of your seat. And, and that's what. Uh, that, that's kind of what we need to be doing over these next several weeks as we're building in uh, to those services is what does God want to do? Honestly, uh, you know, as your pastor, um, you know, I uh, obviously am the visionary and, and God will show me things. But, you know, I, I don't have a clear direction on what God's going to do. I know what our vision is. I know what our mission is. And I know uh, what we're going to do and I know why we're going to do it. But the how sometimes we get hung up on how. Right. Sometimes it's, uh, uh, you know, not exactly as you planned. And you ever anyone ever been down that road? Uh, I had it all laid out. God, this is what you're going to do. You're going to pay off this credit card and then you're going to I was going to get this house and then we're going to go and I was going to meet this person. And, uh, you know, sometimes it feels like he takes you backwards before he takes you forwards. And um, so we're just going to see what God has in store. Uh, but it's important for us to be looking back and in doing so uh, today. Um, I kind of want to show you where I think a lot of us end up sometimes uh, when we are in expectation, when we do see God move um, or we see, uh, you know, we, we sense that God is directing us or leading us somewhere. Um, so I hope that this ministers to you today. Let's start with verse one here in first first Kings 19 and Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done. Also, how he had. Uh, executed all the prophets with the sword. These were not good prophets, by the way. These were bad prophets. Uh, these were false prophets, and they were prophets that were serving other gods. And then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah, saying, So let the gods do to me, and more also, if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by tomorrow about this time. And when he saw that, everyone say, saw that. And when he saw that, he arose and ran for his life and went to Beersheba, uh, which belongs to Judah, and left his servant there. Let me just get you caught up real quick because I'm not going to give you, uh, I'm not going to, you know, we're not going to read for the sake of time the whole backstory. But if you go back into 1 Kings chapter 18, the land of Israel is under a drought and uh, we've got the king Ahab uh, and his queen, his wife Jezebel, that are ruling the land, but they don't love God, they don't care about God, and they've actually turned the people over to serving uh, other gods, what we call Baal. And then you have all these prophets of that god, uh, of their fake god that doesn't even exist, and there's a drought upon the land, three, uh, around three years. And so uh, uh, the word of the Lord comes to Elijah and says, this is what I want you to do. I want everyone to know that I am God. You know, God likes to show off. Amen. And so uh, the word of the Lord comes to Elijah and says, this is what I want you to do. I want you to go to Mount Carmel, have their prophets set up an altar and sacrifice to their altar and worship and see uh, uh, if their God will come down and consume the altar with fire. And then I want you to do the same thing. And then we'll see whose God is real. So Elijah goes to, to the king Ahab uh, and, uh, with this little contest. The contest at Carmel. 
And uh, so they're having this little contest going on to see who can do what. So the false gods, they, they get their calf ready. They, they set it up. They put it on the altar. And for six hours, they're dancing and prancing and crying out and calling out to their gods, their fake gods, uh, to come and burn up this altar. They eventually end up taking their clothes off and cutting themselves until the Bible says that they're gushing out blood. I mean, it's a mess. It's disgusting. It's not the kind of church service you want to go to, okay? This is not, we're not going to be doing that today. Everyone's keeping their clothes on. I don't have <laughs> knives taped to your chairs so you can start. We don't need to do all this. But this is what these guys are doing. For six hours, nothing. And even Elijah gets a little crazy, gets a little uh, you know, funny with it. He says, uh, you know, maybe he's busy. Maybe you need to cry out a little louder. Maybe he doesn't hear you. Uh, you know, maybe he's preoccupied with something, just, you know, joking around a little bit. Then Elijah takes it a step further. He says, all right, my turn. And then uh, he dumps water all over the altar. How in the world are you going to light an altar covered in water? He does it three times. He builds a trench around the altar that ends up filling up with water. I mean, this thing is, there's no way man is going to do this. No way. I love how God loves to leave no doubt. You know, like, like King David, you know, before he was king, when he killed Goliath, says he went back and cut the guy's head off. You know, in, in the movies today, they always leave the guy like half dead or there's, you, you know that there's still a little bit of life and he ends up coming back. But David's like, we ain't playing that game. I'm chopping your head off. I'm using your sword. I'm going to show everybody. And that's what God likes to do. He likes to show up and he likes to show out like uh, our, my Buckeye fan back here. They showed up. They showed out. Any FSU fans? We ain't going to go there. Won't go there today. Won't, won't do it. Won't do it. If you need to come and, you know, receive prayer or anything later on, we'll, we'll take care of that. My Longhorns lost, too. It wasn't a good day. That's all right. But I'm still here on Sunday celebrating and worshiping God. Amen. Okay. Enough about football. We're talking about a different contest. We're talking about God showing up. And he shows up big. He ends up lighting this altar, consumes the whole thing, and the people start crying out, your Lord, he is God. Your Lord, he is God. I mean, that's an awesome day, right? I mean, that God showed up. I mean, if you've been believing God to show up in your life, uh, you know, you, you, you've been looking uh, for him to, you know, God, where are you? What's going to happen? And then, I mean, he just, he leaves no doubt, here I am. This is what I can do in your life. And so you would think reading this next passage that we just read that Elijah would be at the top. He'd be living it up, man. He'd be excited. But at the end of chapter 18, he runs to King Ahab and uh, 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 lets him know uh, what just happened. And the the drought is getting ready to lift and, you know, God wanted to show himself big. Uh, He ended up killing those false prophets, 850 of them. Elijah executed him. Big day for God. This is a big win. And this is where a lot of us get in life. I want to talk about the discouragement in our life that shows up even in the midst of victories. Even in the midst of victories. We talk about, you know, the down and out, and we talk about the times of discouragement where it just seems like it's piling on, right? We've all had those moments like everything is going wrong. God, where are you? Uh, You know, I need you to show yourself faithful. I need you to move in my life. And uh, uh, we've been in those moments. But what about when even in the midst of our greatest victories, we're still having moments of great despair? And reading here again in 1 Kings chapter 19, 1 Kings chapter 19, I want to read it again now that you've got the backstory, now that we know what's going on. Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done. So uh, Ahab goes to the queen, Jezebel, because uh, just to give you a little history on that, Ahab is a puny guy. He's not a man, has no backbone. He's not the example of what a man is. And then Jezebel is the complete opposite, uh, uh, the complete opposite. Not that God doesn't like strong women. God loves strong women. You look at Deborah, you look at Esther's, they're in the Bible. But this is a woman that doesn't know how to submit. This is a woman that uh, has a spirit upon her of, of conflict and divisiveness. And she has attached herself to her husband so she can control using his power. And she found a weak man. Because that's what the Jezebels do. They'll find a weak man. They'll attach themselves. You can't make a decision, so I'll make the decision for you. 
And that's what Jezebel is. And so Jezebel speaks up because Elijah has just killed 850 of her false prophets that serve her fake gods. And so Jezebel sends a messenger, verse 2, to Elijah saying, so let the gods, that's interesting, so let the gods do to me. You're Elijah, you've got a messenger coming to you saying, let me tell you what the queen Jezebel thinks about what you did yesterday. Here's what she has to say. So let the gods do to me. The very gods that we just proved don't even exist. We, I mean, in Elijah's mind, you're thinking, gods? Are you serious? We just took care of that matter. There are no gods. 850-year false prophets were dancing and prancing around, and they couldn't get one sign to show up. My God showed up and consumed the whole thing. Don't talk to me about your gods. But that's not his response. So let the gods do to me, and more also, if I do not make your life as the life of one of them, the prophets, by tomorrow about this time. And look what he does in verse 3. And when he saw that, he arose and ran for his life. The bold prophet that just executed 850 prophets, the bold prophet that just saw God show up in the midst of an altar that it was beyond the shadow. There was no way man could do this beyond the shadow of a doubt. God just operated in this scenario. On top of that, we just disproved that your gods even exist or are capable of doing anything. So the very gods that you're calling out are the ones I just proved wrong. And he runs for his life. God has given you a vision. This is what we're talking about, vision, expectation. And even in the moments of our greatest victories, we can experience moments of great despair. Even in the moments where we ought to be at the peak, we can have these moments of discouragement. Breakdown. And why does this take place? When God just yesterday, within the last 24 hours, just showed himself so mightily. God may have shown you something mighty and powerful. He may have just shown out in a big way. And isn't it interesting that as soon as we uh, come through one victory, the next trial seems like something God cannot do. Don't we do this? God just helped us through a major thing in our marriage. God just came through financially for us. There was no way. And then the next trial, uh, all right, we got you beat on this one, God. Elijah can overcome 850 false prophets. And one strong-willed woman speaks, and he's running with his tail between his legs. I think this is a huge factor in verse 3. Watch this. We're talking about vision, talking about expectation. Remember, vision is not what is happening. Vision is what you see happening. It's, what the, it's the future that has not yet taken place. If you can see it, it's not vision. Well, I got a vision that I'll own this kind of car. Well, if you're driving it, it's not vision. God is already beyond that. God operates by faith. It's impossible to please God without faith. That means he's living in what you don't have yet. Do you get that? You're enjoying all the stuff that he just got you, and he's saying, I'm on the next thing. Talking about vision. But watch this in verse 3. It says, and when he, and when he saw what? It doesn't say, and when he heard that. He turned what she said into what he saw. He turned what she said, and he got the image. And this is how the enemy works in our lives. He distracts you with words, but he's hoping that those words will create the picture that's different than what God has already said. And when he saw that I think there's some people in this room today 
I actually told God this morning, I said, I can't preach this message because I need someone to preach it to me. And he said, well, just preach it to yourself then. So I'm listening too. And when he saw that, how many times do we create pictures in our minds of things that have not even happened yet? We've just heard stuff. This is what the devil does. Rather than reflecting on what God just did in the last 24 hours, he's picturing what the devil wants to do. Let me share that again. Rather than looking at what God has done, he's looking at what the devil wants to do. It hasn't even taken place yet. And so this is the key, guys. Don't let what the devil wants to do to you be bigger than what God has already done. You didn't get it. You didn't get that. Don't let what the devil wants to do be bigger than what God has. You are not reflecting on what God has done. And discouragement sets in on something that has not even happened yet. Which is more real? The burning of the altar that took place yesterday? Or what Jezebel wants to do by this time tomorrow? We get concerned with tomorrow and we forget about what God just did. Isn't this, come on, is this hitting any, am I the only one? I need to be sitting down there. We let fear and anxiety and concern for what's going to, she says, she, she, that's what, those are her literal words. By this time, tomorrow. Well, that's tomorrow. Let me talk. I mean, you you would think that he would rise up and say, don't talk to me about tomorrow. Let me tell you what my God. So he's concerned about what a false God is going to do tomorrow instead of what the real God did yesterday. My gosh, this will set you free. This will set you free. It shows you how quick we move. And how quick we shift and how quick we get off of the things that God has done. And we don't reflect and we don't take time to look and we don't take time to say, God, it's not looking good for tomorrow. But I'm going to remind myself and I'm going to remind you of what you just did. And the same God that lit up that, the same God that came through for my marriage, the same God that showed himself faithful in my fight, the same God. He can take care of that. But he's running. He's running. And he's already picturing what she's going to do tomorrow. Rather than looking back. We're coming up on five years as a church and. And and, and I don't know what the next five years hold, but I can tell you this, that I'm not going to let one lie of the enemy be bigger than what God has done in the last five years in this church. It's not going to happen. But guys, we allow discouragement to come in. That was Elijah's responsibility. That was Elijah's responsibility. Now, 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 uh, you know, without getting into it, there was the spirit attached to Jezebel. There's a spirit of fear. And I'm not going to get into all that stuff, but there, there was, it wasn't just, you know, a strong-willed woman just making a, a strong threat. It was, there's a spirit of fear attached to her, but God is bigger than that spirit. God is greater than that spirit. And this is what happens, guys, is, is we get to a place of celebration in our lives. We've seen God come through, maybe even just took place. And the next attack of the enemy seems bigger than the answer that God just brought. Becomes discouraged. Look at what he goes on to do. He arose and ran for his life. He wasn't doing that out of safety. Well, you know, I just just want to be careful. You know, I mean, I I, I want to be smart too. God, I I believe you can do this. But, you know, just to be safe, I'm going to get out of town he went to, to, to Beersheba, which was on the, the southernmost part. It's a little weirdness, a little no-name town at the very bottom. If you look at it on the map. It's down, I mean, you, you, you go beyond there, you're not even in Israel anymore. Very bottom. And then it also says this. 
which belongs to Judah, and left his servant there. The next thing the enemy wants to do after he creates that image in your mind is he wants to isolate you and get you off by yourself. The servant. What's the servant there to do? Encourage. Protect. And, and, and he left behind the very resource that God had given to him to help him in that kind of moment. Are you getting this today? This is incredible. This is amazing. Even on the, the heels of the biggest uh, uh, showing that God could do. He's running for his life and the decisions he's making. He's picturing what the devil wants to do. And now he's isolated himself. And now he's saying, woe is me. Nobody knows my problems. I'm out here all by myself. I mean, let's keep on reading. Let's keep on looking at this. Verse 4, but he himself went on a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom tree. And he prayed that he might die. He's, he's, he's suicidal. He's writing suicidal notes. He's literally having conversations, man. It would be just better off if I wasn't even here. And 24 hours earlier, God just lit up an altar in front of 850 false prophets and proved himself that he was God. And he lost the vision that God had for him that quick. Now he just wants to die. I, I, I just read recently of a pastor out of Tennessee. I don't, I don't know him. I don't, I don't know anything about him. Been pastoring over 20 years, planted this church, started this church, and, and, and he just went before his congregation just the last couple of weeks and said, I, I, I'm done. I, I can't do this anymore. I'm done. And stepped down. Burn out. Lost the vision. Without vision, you have no passion. You have nothing to be passionate about when you don't keep the vision in front of you. He's, he's running, and God wants you to run, but he's running in the wrong direction. We talked about that last week. Progress is effort in the right direction. If I want to get to Miami and I get on and I hop on 75 uh, over here and I head north, I don't care how fast I'm driving, right? I'm not making progress even though I've got a lot of effort. Come on. Some of us are working really hard and going the wrong way. And Elijah is getting burned out. He's wore out. He's tired. He says, man, I just want to die. And he's putting forth a lot of effort and it's pulling a lot out of him. But he's not making any progress because he's going the wrong direction. He's all the way at the bottom. He's hardly, he's barely even in the region that God's called him to anymore. Maybe you're tired and maybe you're weary, not because stuff is just coming at you, but because you're using your energy and you're consuming yourself in the wrong direction. And you've isolated yourself and you cut yourself off from the very people that God has placed around you. Go talk to your pastor. Go talk to your friend that you know is going to get you in the right direction. Lean on them. Talk to your spouse. But the enemy wants you to think that you're the only one going through it. And we'll answer that question here at the end of this thing. David had to do this. There was opportunities where David had his own people against him. The very people he thought had his back, they were turning on him saying, we're going to take you out because our wives and our children just got captured and we're going to hold you responsible. And David, and the Bible says that David turned around and he said that he encouraged himself in the Lord. Encouraged himself. Encouraged himself. He went on his day's journey into the wilderness, came and sat down under a broom tree, and he prayed that he might die. It is enough. Now, Lord, take my life, for I am no better than my father. Now he's comparing himself to past failures rather than past successes. No better than my. He's reflecting. He's just reflecting on the wrong part of the path. Why didn't he say, wait a minute. Just yesterday, you blew up that altar and you proved to everybody that you're God. If you can do that, you can sure. No, he's now he's saying, I'm no better than my father. We've all been there. 
Look at me with your spiritual grins all you want, but we've all been there. Amen. Verse 5, then as he lay and slept, he's tired. Sometimes our exhaustion is, is, is our fault. I'm tired. I'm, well, you're going the wrong way, Elijah. Going the wrong way. Doesn't mean you won't have to work. But when you're making effort in the right direction and you're seeing progress toward the vision that God has set for you, God will give you a rest. Rest does not have to be the result of doing nothing. But now we're seeing pastors and ministers and and, and we're seeing individuals drop like flies. Having to take, forced to take time off. God wants to give you the rest that you need in the midst of what you're doing. I just, I just need a break. I just need to stop. I just, I'm just going, going, going. Jesus had an opportunity. He came into Samaria in John chapter 4. And the Bible says he was tired, he was weary, and he actually sent his disciples in to go get food. I'm too, I'm too tired to even go in that town and get, just go get me a hamburger and some fries and, you know, Big Mac. Bring it on out here. I'm just going to hang out here and rest. And then a woman comes along and interrupts his whole rest, interrupts his whole plan. Samaritan woman. Give me a drink of water. Have, start having the conversation. And then his disciples come back, and they say, did, did, he was ready to go. Jesus was like, all right. Glad you made it back, guys. Let's go. And, 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 then, you, and then they start looking at each other. Did, did somebody give him food while we were gone? Did somebody beat us to the punch? Did, did they already get it to here? Is there a faster pizza delivery service that we were missing out on? And he said, no, 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 my food is to do the will of my father. He says, I don't need to stop to receive rest. I can, see, I can receive rest while doing the will of my father. But now he's in a position, Elijah, he lay and slept under a broom tree. Suddenly an angel touched him, said to him, arise and eat. He looked and there by his head was a cake baked on coals in a jar of water. And he ate and drank and lay down again. Verse 7, the angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat. Watch this. Because the journey is too great. Guys, the journey is too great. Even in the midst of our victory, if you are relying on God showing up, if you think, man, if I could just see God show up, if, if God would just move, if God would just, you know, op- move in my life. And, and, and I'm telling you right now that that is not the answer you're looking for. You think it is. You, th- you, you, you think it's financial relief. And you, you, you think that it's, uh, you know, uh, my husband or my wife uh, responding correctly to me. You, you, you think that if you could get that job or that promotion or make that paycheck, that it would all go away. But I'm here to tell you that oppression is in the mind and it's not based upon outside. So everything can go wrong and everything still be right. Everything can be right and still feel wrong. You've got to learn to live by something different than outside circumstances. Yeah. Yeah. You've got to learn to live and move in him. Paul said, in him I live and move. He didn't say when it's going good, I live and move. He didn't say when I feel like everything's going. I mean, you go read his laundry list in First Corinthians chapter 11. I mean, he's, it's, it's, he went through some stuff. I was shipwrecked here. They left me for dead here. They stoned me there. They beat me this many times. Uh, you know, he, he, he gives his whole thing. But his sustenance wasn't coming 
from outside. It was coming from the inside. He even made statements like, man, there's times where I just think, man, it would be better to go on and be with the Lord. But it's better for me to stay here for you. He got his vision for his life, and that pushed him, and that drove him. And that's why he could read uh, or, or write what he wrote to the Philippians that we read last week from jail. He could say, not that I've already attained, but I'm pressing on toward the goal for the reason that Christ apprehended. I want to take hold of that which he took hold of me. I've got a vision. I can see it clearly. I'm running my race, and nothing's getting me off. But Elijah has lost his vision, and he's adopted the enemy's vision for his life. And it's driving him in the wrong direction, and it's driving him to be by himself. But the grace of God, an angel showing up and giving him a cake and a jar of water, that's called the grace of God. It's amazing what God, you know, I just, I don't think we reflect enough on the grace and the mercy of God. To have a prophet that he called, I just showed up for you, man. I just proved to everybody around you that I am the God. And now you want to get off and run like I don't even exist? But God is so gracious and merciful. God is so gracious and merciful. And he will send you the resources you need. And they will come from a place that you would never expect. Here's a man, just let me die. And an angel shows up with a jar of water and a cake. Shows up twice. Shows up twice. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to flip this around a little bit. Because there's probably people in this room thinking, I need an angel with a cake and a jar of water. I want to rotate this around. I wonder if you might be the angel with the cake and jar of water. Guys, as a church, not this church, but as believers in the kingdom of God, we do not do good enough. We do not do well enough. Let me correct that. At taking care of each other. We see each other beat down. We see each other discouraged. And I'm not talking about this church because I know what this church does. My wife and I hear stories now that we didn't even know someone was necessarily in need. And we hear that the need was met before the need was even there. I mean, it's like you guys are doing it. We've created that culture of generosity and looking out for one another. But as believers, we talk trash about each other rather than helping each other. And that cannot be. You see someone hurting, and maybe it's even affecting you. I remember I was having a conversation with an individual, and, 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 and this, this certain individual was serving up under a, a, another, not in our church, but, uh, you know, in, I guess in a work-related situation. And, and they're doing this, and they're doing that, and, 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 and you know, all this stuff. And, I, and, and, and you, you want to rage on and you want to create every, every uh, opportunity. You're, you're, you're trying to justify the fact why I feel the way that I feel about this individual. And they're wrong. They're doing this. And, and I just stopped. I said, have you prayed for them? No. Well, why not? Pray for them. Lift them up to the Lord. Are you so concerned with how you're being treated that you're not concerned about what's going on in their life and that they need help just like you need help? You might be the angel with the cake 
in the water. Be sensitive to that. That's not an opportunity to, to, to start raging on them and, 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 and calling out everything. And then talk, you know, what we do is we talk to other people about them rather than talking to them about the situation or, or talking to God about them. I'll take it a step further, and you're probably not going to like this, but that's okay. Quit talking to other people and quit sharing stuff about your president and certain individuals that are running for president. If you are not talking to God, do not talk to, about, do not talk to anybody else about them. I don't care how you feel about them. I don't care what they've done. I don't care what political party they represent or you represent and vice versa. Talk to God. Not once did Paul justify our actions as believers to cut down and, 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 and discredit people. And each time he said, lift them up. Pray for your leaders. If you've got a boss that you don't like, Quit talking to all the other co-workers about your boss and go to God about it. He's the only one that can do anything about it anyways. The only reason you're talking is so you can feel better about yourself. I don't know why we went here, but it's for somebody in this room. And you're not going to receive the sustenance and you're not going to receive the help you need because you're going to the wrong people with the wrong problem. Go to God. Go to God. You could be the angel if you would be sensitive enough. You could be the person that could help pull them out. What, do you not care about the life of the individual more than the scenario in the situation? Whoever gets in the presidency is going to need Jesus. And not just Jesus to run a country. And not just Jesus to fight our little wars and battles. And not just Jesus to choose the right health care. They need Jesus because if they don't get Jesus, they're going to hell. Care about that for once. Rather than your comfort and your peace in a country where we already have it better than anybody else on this planet. Amen. Okay. That's all. So he's got an angel that comes to him, jar of water and a cake, sustenance from nowhere. When you think you're down and out, when you think that you've re- you, you have reached rock bottom and that you don't want anything else but to get out, God doesn't want you to get out. God wants you to get through. There's a difference. God does not just want you to get out of your scenario and your discouragement and being in the bottom. God wants you to get through the scenario because he wants you to overcome. Because do not forget, he still has a vision, he still has a purpose, and he still has a destiny for you. And just because you lose sight of the vision doesn't mean he's given up or he's lost sight of the vision. Amen. God doesn't lose sight of the vision he's given you. He keeps it right there, and he'll do everything he can to resource you and to get supplements to you so you can get back on course so you can fulfill the vision for which he created you. Amen. We keep going here. Verse 8, so he arose. The angel tells him the journey is too great. Guys, the journey is too great. The journey is too great. The journey for what? Your path to reach the destiny that God has called you for. It's too great. The journey is too great. You ought to underline that. You ought to highlight that. You ought to do whatever you need to do to put stars around it, circle it. The journey is too great. What's he trying to do? He's trying to, re, he's trying to bring vision back to him. Look, you got, you're, you're distracted. You got your eyes on what Jezebel might do. You need to start thinking about God is doing and has done and will do because that is much bigger than what the devil might do to you. He's getting his focus back. The journey is too great. He arose and ate and drank and he went in the strength of that food 40 days. You don't need a lot, guys. A cake and a jar of water got him by for 40 days and 40 nights. You don't need a lot. You just need a little. 
And sometimes God will just give you a little and that's all you need and quit looking for more. And he's saying, I've given you everything you need. You don't need that much. You just need to do better with what you have. That's kind of been the focal point for the past few weeks. Do better with what you have. You don't need more. You need to do better. You don't need more food. You don't need something tomorrow and the next day and the next day. I gave you the word and that word is still good all the way through until you reach your accomplished point. A cake and a jar of water got him by for 40 days, 40 nights. As far as Horeb, the mountain of God, Mount Horeb was another name for Mount Sinai, where God met Moses. And he's led him to a place where he wants to bring him before God once again. Look at this. Verse Nine, and there he went into a cave. He spent the night in that place, and behold, the word of the Lord came to him. And he asked Elijah, what are you doing here, Elijah? I feel like God is asking us that sometimes. What are you doing here? That's how I picture God saying it. You might picture a booming voice and thunder. And I just, what are you doing? Simple, simple question. And look at it. He said, I have been very zealous. This is how we respond to God. God, I've served you. I've given you my, I've tithed. I go to church consistently. I serve with the kids every three weeks. Snot flying everywhere. Kid punched me in the face last week. I, I'm doing it, God. What's the problem? I've been zealous for the Lord God of hosts. For the children of Israel have forsaken you. I'm the only one doing anything right is what he's saying. I'm out here putting my back up for these guys. And they're not even living. They've turned. They don't even care about you. They've torn down your altars. They've killed your prophets with the sword. I alone am left. And now they seek to take my life. Ever felt like that? God, I'm the only one doing it. I'm the only one doing it around here. My, my, my wife, she don't care. She, she's not doing anything. I'm, I'm, I'm doing everything. I alone am left. None of my friends care. Discouraged. Let me remind you, just a couple days ago, God showed up. You cannot ride your successes. To the next one. Each one will take another level of faith. We used to say a little saying around my church growing up. New levels, new devils. Verse 11. Verse 11, he said, go out. Stand on the mountain before the Lord, and behold, the Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind tore into the mountains and broke the rocks into pieces before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. Some of you are looking for God to show out just as big as he did last time, and you're missing the still, small voice. God's not going to do it like he did last time. He may not move like he did last time. It may not be as big and showy like it was. He may just come to you and say, Elijah, I'm here. And you've got to be sensitive to that. You've got to know that he's with you. I like that he showed up with the still small voice because sometimes it requires us to shut everything else down. To hear him. There's a difference between isolating yourself to run from something and, there, and, and isolating yourself to run to something. And what he's showing him here is he says, you should have isolated yourself and ran to me. But instead, you went away from the purpose for which I've called you. You didn't take your servant with you, who I've given to you to be your helper and your sword. But there is a need for us to isolate and to get away with God. 
Amen. Amen. Are you getting something today? Let's wrap this up. So it was when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his mantle and went out and stood in the entrance of the cave. Suddenly a voice came to him and said, what are you doing here, Elijah? And he said, I told you already. I have been very zealous for the Lord God of hosts because of the children of Israel have forsaken your covenant, torn down your altars, killed your prophets with the sword. I alone am left and they seek to take my life. And the Lord said to him, go, return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus. And when you arrive, anoint Hazael as king over Syria. Also, you shall anoint Jehu, the son of Nimshi, as king over Israel. And Elisha, the son of Shaphat, of Abel-Mahola, you shall anoint as prophet in your place. In the moment where you don't think you have anything to give, God will have you impart something to someone else. One of the greatest ways to stir yourself up is start helping other people. One of the greatest ways that you can start getting investment in your life is start investing in someone else. Give people what you need. What did Jesus say? Give and it what? Will be taken away from you and you'll be left crying with nothing. (laughs) Give and it will be given to you. And God knows how to get it back to you differently than the way that you gave it. You gave 10 and you'll find 100 coming back. Pressed down. Shaken together. Running. See, we always use that for, for money stuff. But if you're needing joy, maybe you can give joy to someone else. If you're needing encouragement, maybe you can give a word of encouragement to someone else. Guys, if y'all come up. If you're needing love, maybe you need to give love. Guys, that give and it shall be given goes both ways. Whatever you give will be returned back to you. Maybe you're receiving what you're giving. There's three things that God had Elijah do here. How do you get back on course? You've lost your vision, even in the sight of your greatest victories, even in the sight of everything that God has done in your life. There's three things. Three things that God will do to get you back on course with your destiny and your purpose. Number one, he gives Elijah aim, a direction. He says, go. You got to get up and go. You're waiting for something to come to you. And he says, no, 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 you're going to have to get up and go. Go. Number one is aim. Number two is assignment. He gives them an assignment. Guys, when you're down, when you're broken, when you're discouraged, God will find something for you to do. Because there's life when you're doing. Anything that's living ought to be giving. Amen. And so when you are active and when you are fulfilling the purpose and fulfilling the assignment in the right direction, he gave them aim, he gave them assignment, and then look at this last one down here. Verse 18. Remember what, remember what Elijah kept saying? I, I'm the only one that's left. I'm alone. Everyone's deserted me. Well, you know, one of the reasons why you're alone, Elijah, is because you ran away from your servant. I actually gave him to you. So he didn't desert you. You just failed to take him with you and failed to draw on that person. But, but let me show you how big this really is, Elijah. Verse 18. Yet I have reserved 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed to Baal, and every mouth that has not kissed him. You thought you were alone. You thought you were all by yourself. You thought you were the last one left even serving God. No, no, no. I've got 7,000. And if you'll get back there and you'll serve with them, you'll find out you're not the only one doing it. You're not alone. You're not by yourself. Pick yourself up. Look around. I place people around you and people within you and purpose upon you to fulfill the destiny that I've given you. 
7,000 that have not turned their backs on God. This is what we do, is we look at what we don't have and we forget about what we do have. God will never leave you. He will never forsake you. But I'm here to tell you today that your destiny, your vision, your purpose will not happen by accident. It will not happen. Some of you have been sitting on your hands and you've just been waiting for God to show up. It showed up for Elijah. And he was more discouraged before than he was, uh, more discouraged after than he was before. At least he was still willing to serve God. At least he was still willing to live for God. Now he's seen God move. You've been waiting for a miracle. Well, if God will do this, then I'll do that. No, you do it, and then watch what God will do with that. You still have a purpose. You still have a destiny. And don't you dare give up on it, because he hasn't given up. He didn't send his son to die for you, and to pull you out of the mire, and pull you out of the muck, and pull you out of the dirt and pull you out of darkness and bring you into light and pull you out of the world and bring you into the kingdom so you can stop halfway and say, it's all, I'm all by myself. He's bigger than that. He's bigger than that. Your destiny and your purpose is bigger than that. It's bigger than the shortfalls and the shortcomings. It's bigger than the mistakes and the mess ups. It's bigger than the failures bigger and you still have an assignment bow your head close your eyes Father we thank you today we thank you today thank you today Father forgive us for looking at what we don't have instead of what we do have forgive us for not utilizing the relationships that are around us that you gave to us and maybe for fear of what they'll think or or, or maybe they'll think that we're weak or we don't have it all together. Father, forgive us for not having the right conversations with the right people. Father, today we want to press on with aim in your assignment in your assurance that you will never leave us. You will never forsake us. Father, help us get back on the right path. 